0: Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up. The Daily Sun Up podcast is a conversation with the Colorado Sun. See our trust indicators at coloradosun.com ethics. It's Wednesday, February 21st. Today, the housing conversation at the Colorado Capitol is heating up and political reporters Brian Eason and Jesse Paul are here to break down what it all means for the state. The latest bill would withhold state dollars from communities that don't tie housing to transit. Before we begin, a special thank you to all of our Colorado Sun members listening. It's thanks to you that the Sun continues to bring trustworthy, independent journalism to readers and listeners across our state. If you're not yet a member and want to join us, visit coloradosun.com join to sign up. While you're there, check out our member e-newsletters like Colorado Sunday, The Temperature, and more. Together, we'll keep Colorado informed in 2024. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1853, Charles Autobees and Settlers founded a key early settlement in southeastern Colorado by the Huerfano and Arkansas Rivers, marking the beginning of agricultural development in the area. Before this, Autobees had a diverse career, from trapping to trading in New Mexico and was involved in land speculation. He accepted an offer from Seren St. Vrain to establish a settlement, but despite initial success in farming and trading, Otto faced challenges following an attack in 1854, leading to relocation. His settlement played a crucial role during the Pikes Peak Gold Rush and became the first seat of Werfano County. However, Otto legally struggled to secure his land claim, eventually obtaining title to less than 700 acres before dying in 1882. Before we continue, a quick thanks to Daily Sun-Up listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. Thanks. Next, our feature story.
1: Morning, everyone. It's Jesse Paul, one of the Colorado Sun political reporters here. It's Wednesday morning, and you're listening to the Daily Sun-Up podcast, and it's another political edition of... Podcast. I'm joined here by Brian Easton, a fellow political reporter. How are you doing, Brian?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good. So, we've been talking or writing a lot about the housing bills that we're expecting in the legislature, and they're starting to kind of trickle out now. One of the biggest ones was just introduced. You wrote about it. Tell us what's in it and where this kind of fits into the broader context of the housing conversation at the Colorado legislature this year.
2: Yeah. So, this is really one of the bigger bills we're, we're expecting all session. Um, it's House Bill 1313. And it's really similar to one of the big pushes from last year uh, from Governor Jared Polis, which was designed to really encourage denser housing near near transit. And the reason that denser housing near transit is important, of course, is that you know, the more folks that can take transit to work or to school or anything like that, the fewer cars we have on the road, which kind of helps the state uh, with its goals in terms of climate change as well. So this bill is going to be a little bit different than last year's, right? For those who who don't recall, at, at the end of last year, Governor Polis's uh, big housing measure kind of Went down in flames on on the very last day of the session. It faced quite a bit of opposition from from local governments, in particular, because they were upset that the state would would effectively have taken away some of their local control over planning and zoning, right? Which dictates how neighborhoods develop and 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 helps determine what communities look like. So uh, this year's bill it doesn't have any mandates in it per se. Um it relies heavily on incentives to encourage uh cities to zone for apartments and townhomes and things like that near near transit stops. But it does have some penalties, right? It's not just incentives. Um uh, local governments that that kind of don't follow through and don't try to meet the state's housing goals. Um would run the risk of the state actually withholding some of uh, some of their highway funding, and and that's money that that they already receive today. As you can imagine, uh, groups that represent cities like Colorado Municipal League uh, have already come out with with some concerns about the bill. But proponents say that you know the yes, there are some punitive elements to it, but but they really view this as a way to incentivize cities to to promote more housing construction. And uh, the two key ways that it does that is, number one, there's $35 million infrastructure fund that would be created and cities could uh, apply for money from that if they adopt some of the housing policies that, that the state is pushing for. There would also be another $30 million uh, for affordable housing
1: projects uh, in the form of uh, a, a new state affordable housing tax credit. Would this apply to the entire state or only pockets of Colorado?
2: No. So it's it's only going to apply to the way it's defined in the bill is cities that are within metropolitan planning organizations and uh, that have uh, more than 4,000 people. But what does that what does that really mean? Right. Well, it's, it's primarily the front range and, and then and cities along the I-25 corridor, and it, it also includes uh, places uh, in and around uh, Grand Junction. The other the other exemption is if you're a city that doesn't really have a lot of transit right now, then then it doesn't apply to, to you either.
1: Okay. So metropolitan planning organizations, I think I've heard or read that phrase before. How does this fit into kind of the broader housing conversation at the Capitol this session? What other bills does this kind of paired with? Yeah, so
2: there's quite a few that are that are really looking at at land use in particular, right? Uh, there are some other measures that deal with kind of tenant protections and kind of the tenant landlord relationship, um, but for the purpose of this conversation, I'm just going to stick with with the land use ones. Um, uh, so there's another bill that that hasn't been introduced yet, but it's been it's in the works from Senators uh, Rachel Zenzinger as well as. Uh, Barbara Kirkmeyer. uh, One of them's a Democrat, the other a Republican. And that one would try to incentivize cities to do local housing needs assessments, right? And the idea there is that lawmakers want cities to take the housing crisis seriously. But some of them, like Senator Zinzinger and Senator Kirkmeyer, they don't think cities should be forced to do things they don't want to do. Um, So this would kind of strike a balance between okay, cities, we want you to take this seriously. We want you to figure out what the needs are in your communities and actually plan, put a, put a plan in place to solve them, but we don't necessarily want to take that next step as the state and force you to do things a certain way. Now, that one does kind of run a little bit counter to what... To what a lot of housing advocates and environmental groups think is needed, some of the the folks that are aligned with Governor Polis on this issue thinks that think that there do need to be some sort of either mandates or penalties associated with these bills to overcome what what we've seen really across the country. Um, this is not just a Colorado thing, um, but all over the country, there's kind of this a lot of pent up resistance, a lot of neighborhoods to building more. Apartments near them, to building more density, uh, and to building low-income housing. This is something that, you know, they've been talking about in housing textbooks for like decades and decades. Is this kind of what they call NIMBYism—that not in my backyard? We don't want more housing next to us. Type of mentality. Um, so that that's one bill that you're going to see that uh, is going to see, I think, more support from cities, but a little less support from uh some of the democrats uh who think that a measure needs to go a little bit further and have some have some teeth to it a couple other bills that have come out recently there's one that would um local governments uh again within kind of a metropolitan planning organization so again that's front range that's grant junction um it would prevent them from enforcing minimum parking requirements starting in 2025 um and the reason that 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 housing advocates are pushing for that one is that when you require developers to put in parking it just kind of increases the cost of the project, and it also decreases the amount of land that they can use for actual housing units right and that's how developers make their money so uh, that's viewed as uh, an affordability measure in the sense that well if more of the land has to go to housing and less of it has to go to parking then you'll get more units built rents will be a little cheaper uh, that, that's kind of the thinking there there's also another bill um, that was actually vetoed by the governor last year it, it has changed a little bit but that would give local governments uh kind of first right of refusal we'll see if that one has a little bit more traction this year
1: so last year the governor's housing efforts and the democrats having housing efforts kind of failed in pretty spectacular fashion at the end of the session again you had local governments in opposition to these things. They didn't like the idea of being told what they had to do by the state. How are the vibes going into this year's attempt at these bills? Do you have a sense of how things are going to shape up? Do you think these things are going to change? Do you think they're going to pass the flying colors?
2: It's interesting. You know, I, uh, in talking with Kevin Bomber the other day, who is uh, the leader of the Ara Municipal League, yeah, cities don't like some of the proposals they're seeing, but they've said it's night and day from what we saw last year. Um, and the reason the the vibes, as you put it, are a little bit better is that they've been having meetings for, for months, I mean, dating back to like June or July, right after uh, last session ended. So there's been, I think, much more pretty sincere effort on the part of of the governor's office and and lawmakers to really reach out to uh, interested stakeholders on this. So that includes cities, that includes uh, housing organizations, low-income housing organizations, um, and environmental groups. Um, And so I'd say there has definitely been more collaboration heading into this session. Supporters are hoping that that will help them get something done even if ultimately not everyone ends up agreeing on on the finished project product but we'll see how that goes um i think a lot of these measures still are very much in flux and i think i think we can expect to see some changes as they move through the process
1: all right it's the year of housing and the year of vibes at the colorado capitol thanks so much brian appreciate your time today thanks man what are what are your vibes like today <laughs> that's classified material classified <laughs> material
0: excellent Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. The water moved through the Colorado Big Thompson project could be called the Saks Fifth Avenue of water. High quality, clean, neatly packaged, and easily delivered within the boundaries of Northern Water's eight-county district. But at an auction earlier this month, 90 shares were sold at bargain rates for a combined $4.7 million dollars. That's just over $52,000 per share, well below the 70000 dollars dollars the water has fetched in recent years. The 90 shares were just a tiny fraction of the 310,000 shares that comprise the entire project. A judge set a $5 million cash bond Tuesday for a University of Colorado Colorado Springs student accused of fatally shooting his roommate and another person inside a dorm room. Prosecutors say 25-year-old Nicholas Jordan of Detroit could be a threat to witnesses and students of the university if released. Jordan allegedly tried to flee the state before police found him inside a car with a gun about three miles from campus. The judge declined a request to make the arrest affidavit public and police did not disclose a possible motive. Jordan is set to return to court Friday morning. Colorado Springs police say they are using the threat of court fines and jail time to encourage homeless people to move into shelters and accept help with substance use disorders. In 2023, police in the state's second-largest city issued 899 tickets to people who were homeless, including 117 for illegal camping in public spaces. In Denver, nearly twice the size of Colorado Springs, police handed out just 14 tickets for illegal camping during the same period. And that was up substantially from 2022, when Denver police wrote just one illegal camping ticket. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Now a quick message from our team.
2: This is Christina Pritchett, Marketing and Events Specialist at the Colorado Sun. In my role, I get to witness the Sun's impact on our state firsthand. I always leave our events feeling inspired by those who attend and share the impact that the sun has in their daily lives. If you're a follower of the sun, please reach out and tell us what you think of our reporting and let us know how it makes a difference in your life. The sun is member supported, so if you're not yet a member, please consider joining us today at coloradosun.com slash join.